Welcome to the International Collective of Female Cinematographers podcast, where every week we'll be talking to a different cinematographer and listening to their stories as they navigate the filmmaking world, sharing secrets and experiences to empower our community. The ICFC is a collective of professional female cinematographers from around the world who provide each other with community support and industry advocacy. We are your hosts, Fabienne, Amelia, and Akina. Today, we are so excited to welcome Sarah Weldon. We will be discussing the ups and downs of moving from a smaller market to a larger city, establishing boundaries to protect our careers and personal life, the socioeconomic divide of entering and thriving in the industry, the perfection and imperfections of the images we create, and the importance of long walks on the beach. This is part one of our interview with Sarah Weldon. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, welcome, Sarah, to the podcast. Hi. Hello. Nice to see you all. Um, so let's start out with um, how did you become a filmmaker and how did you become a DP? Good questions. Good questions. Um, I grew up on Nantucket Island and there was not, uh, filmmaking was not anything on my radar for quite a long time. Um, I fell in love with photography around like fifth grade i went to washington dc and decided to like take pictures of all the the normal things but at a 45 degree like dutch angle thinking that would be amazing and it it wasn't amazing the photos are terrible but um i don't know it kind of opened my eyes and i sort of like fell in love with i don't know the control i had over that world but yeah i mean i i love photography but it was always a bit kind of lonely and isolating for me and then I yeah, I made some like silly little things on a VHS camera in high school and then ended up it was enough to get me to like kind of dip my feet into filmmaking in college. Um so there was like a lot of 16 mil and that kind of stuff, editing on a flatbed editor. It was very doc focused and it was also very like sort of director focused. I mean mm -hmm. not specifically, but that felt like it felt like it was like pushing us all. So I think like that community aspect wasn't there for me at that time. And I studied it and I continued to study photography alongside, but I, I don't know if I fell in love with it yet. And then I moved to Portland right after graduating college, just in time for the first major recession of my adult life in 2000, end of 2007, mm. and um, worked as an ice cream maker for like a year and a half. And then was, I think, like the novelty of that wore off pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And I needed something a little more in my creative wheelhouse. And uh, my wife, Kelly, who I've been with for 20 years, kind of pushed me to like do something about the fact that I was unhappy with my current situation. So yeah, I took a few classes at uh, Portland Community College just to kind of like remember the whole film thing from what seemed like so long ago at that time. And from there, I got an internship at a production company. It was all like a very pragmatic choice. I wanted something that I enjoyed doing with my life. I wanted something that, you know, felt creatively fulfilling. But I also knew like coming out of that recession that I needed something uh, that would provide stability. So yeah. And I was like, you know, at the beginning of that, I was still working full time and doing this like internship for free. And it was a lot of like editing was really, I think, what kind of got me in the door there. And just sort of that was kind of the beginning of my like falling in love with filmmaking. We would shoot short films on the side and that like I think I started to see that community aspect in a way that I kind of hadn't previously. And I don't know, I think just my I, I think at some point in there, I realized directing wasn't really the thing I wanted to be doing. I wanted to be supporting someone else's vision and cinematography just felt right in every way. I think it kind of like was everything I loved about photography. But then with this new element of like, I don't know, I get to be helping someone else tell and shape their story. But yeah, again, it was like still mostly commercial stuff at first. And I found my way into the camera room, worked doing like some camera assistant stuff, worked a lot as an opera they would do tons of like oh, such a variety of work from like kind of bigger commercials to more uh, corporate-y kind of stuff. So I'd work on kind of varying things and varying roles. And eventually I sort of found 
found my way into the DP role at this production company. And, you know, we talked a lot about like what that would look like. And I was, you know, assured them like, like we could hire the best gaffers and the best ACs. And, you know, I knew what I was doing, exposing an image and we could kind of like, you know, you would have somebody in house who can communicate with your editors and the colorist and just like be there on the creative floor. So I'm kind of like always a part of these conversations. So I did that for my last two years there and then went freelance and I went freelance in 2015 and then um, shot my first feature in 2016. I'd shot some shorts, but an actor in one of the shorts I shot who was doing a lot of features asked if I wanted to shoot a feature. And I was like, I guess, yeah, I don't know anything about that. That sounds great. And that sounds really big uh, and scary, but let's do it. So we, yeah, I mean, he directed a handful of sort of low budget indie features. And this was the, the this film was like the third part in a trilogy um, that he was doing. Wow. Yeah. So it was like, it was wild, but I, I, I just remember from that experience, he and I, John Garcia is the, was the director. He was doing a trilogy called The Falls about um, these like two gay Mormons who fell in love on their mission and it sort of like follows their life into this, you know, third part of a trilogy um, and had this like has this it still has this like lovely cult following from a lot of folks that I think lived similar experiences but yeah it was like I think what really like that was kind of the moment where I think I like really fell in love with this to the extent that I am now and I think a lot of that just came out of those sort of creative conversations going into it and like trying to figure out like how are we capturing all these different themes and like what are we doing to like for this character versus this character or in this moment or you know why do you want to go handheld here or you know mm -hmm. like is that just a time thing or is there like a greater purpose to that so I think it was like digging into all that stuff and you know we spent like I don't know a, a couple weeks like every every night for a couple hours at this bar near my house we'd go and just like scribble things down and like draw overheads of like either locations we had or just like locations, you know, you know, when you like get the script and you read it and you like have the location in your mind mm -hmm. and it's like nothing like it's going to end up being, but it's like, so we'd be like drawing, like, oh, I think it looks like this. And he's like, no, 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 it looks like this. Yeah. That just, uh, I think that all just kind of hit me in a way. And I, like I said, I, I fell in love with it. And then from there, it was just this like balancing act of like commercials and, you know, indie narrative stuff. Yeah. Does that answer the question? Yes, yes. <laughs> um, I know you're also a very recent transplant to Los Angeles from the Portland area, right? You came within the last couple of years. Uh, yeah, I, I came uh, March of last year. So March of 2022. Wow, that's very recent. Uh, yeah. Can you talk about a little bit about the decision to move from a smaller market like Portland and come into a bigger market like LA and like what the difference is and the pros and cons, I guess, about doing that? Sure. I, I feel like this is another kind of a kind of big answer, but I think it, it's a perfect segue from like what I was just talking about, because I think like in Portland, I don't know, the idea of like chasing something bigger, I think for me for a very long time wasn't, I just didn't like believe in myself in that way. It just didn't like enter my consciousness as like a possibility. My brother lived in LA for eight years while I was like a working DP for I think all of that. Mm -hmm. And I still didn't really like consider moving here as something that made sense for me. It was like, I don't know. It was, I think because my choice to join this industry was originally like so pragmatic. Um, and I did like Portland quite a bit. It just, it was like, you know, what, what is in LA for me? that isn't here in Portland, you know, I can shoot my like indie narrative projects here and I can, there's a, you know, pretty good commercial market with sort of Nike headquarters and, you know, Adidas North America and all the big like sports apparel brands. So I think it was just kind of working and I didn't really want to see any reason to shake things up. And I just didn't like see anything much bigger for me, especially early on in my career. Mm -hmm. But I think, I don't know, that all sort of shifted when I, like around 2019, I shot my next two features. And I think I like, it was kind of like 
re-falling in love with that same experience I had in 2016. And I think I was like starting to think a little bigger, but not like allowing myself to get there. And then, you know, Kelly and I would talk about it, I think like kind of low key, but it was like, we'll see if like, if it makes sense, maybe we'll do it. Um, as though like something would happen that would just like magically make it make sense. And then in 2021, when I got into the ASC uh, Vision Mentorship Program, I was talking with Polly Morgan, who is my mentor. And yeah, she was just talking about like coming down to LA and connecting in person, you know, for a few mm-hmm. months and this and that, and, like trying to like get the most out of that. And I just kind of was like, what if I just move there? And she said, I mean, that seems like a great move for you. And that was enough. And I was like, okay, cool. So I'm going to move to LA in two months. So that was, <laughs> yeah, that was like end of December. And then I moved on March 10th and I didn't really tell many people that was going to happen. I sort of just did it because I wasn't sure when I landed. I think there was like a little bit of time after I landed of like, is this the right thing? Mm-hmm. But I pretty immediately, I think like LA has an interesting stigma around it. There's just a lot of very strong opinions about LA, Mm -hmm. um, love it or hate it, but there's a lot of like not so positive opinions. um, And I think it's hard not to buy into those. And I, I worried about who the people were here, like what the filmmaking community was like, uh, just knowing Hollywood and some of, I just some of the historical issues with Hollywood and like mm-hmm. it being really like the heart of this town. Like, is that what the filmmaking community is here? What I found is like, and this is, you know, partly just my own like bias within the circles that I'm in and the people that I surround myself with. But what I found is there is like the most incredible community of filmmakers here who are like totally my people. Mm-hmm. And because LA, like Portland has that too, no doubt. And I mm-hmm. had that there and it was a hard thing to leave. But because LA is such a big city, that mm-hmm. community is just that much bigger uh, because there's just that many more people here. So I tell people like, you know, percentage wise, there's probably the same percentage of like jerks and, you know, wonderful (laughs) humans that I like want to surround myself with in LA, but as anywhere else, but because it's such a big city, those like people I do want to surround myself with are just, they're everywhere. So I I just, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm still new. I'm still like figuring all of that out. A lot of my work since I got here has been out of town, but just, you know, like being able to connect through the ICFC has been amazing. And I feel like it was really well-timed because it's sort of like all is like coming back after the pandemic and everything else. And I think the other part is like things have been a little slow in the industry um, or a lot slow. I think for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we were just talking about that before. We yeah. Like, yeah. No one's yeah. working. For sure. But I think the like the bonus, at least for me, is that like people are available to grab a coffee and mm-hmm. hang out and have conversations and go to events. So it's like given me an opportunity to like make a lot of connections and build a community that would be harder in a much busier time because people would be working. So I that's sort of like the silver lining for me, but I'm ready now for everything to pick up. <laughs> yeah, who isn't? Yeah. <laughs> Need to hire a cinematographer? Well, look no further than the ICFC's member online database. We boast over 300 highly qualified cinematographers for all your filmmaking needs. Visit our site now and find your next superstar collaborator at icfcfilm.com. You were talking about uh, the struggle to think bigger, right? Um, You know, when you were in Portland. Um, Now that you're kind of on the other side of that, is there any advice you could give to someone starting out in this um, or just anyone, really, because I think we all struggle with that in a certain way, just to think big. What advice would you give someone to like think bigger than what we're used to, I guess? That's a great question. I think this industry, as much as I talk about like how photography is lonely and isolating and the film filmmaking is this like big community, wonderful thing. It's also like there's this other side of it. It's like kind of lonely and isolating, especially when you're working as a 
cinematographer or probably any department head where, yeah, you're just not on, like I'm never on set with other cinematographers. And I think that can be hard, but I think, I think part of that is just like, we get into our own head a lot about like our experience and we, you know, sort of create this false reality around that experience and that we're feeling, I don't know, that we sort of like put ourselves in this like different box than we put everybody else. And we Mm -hmm. look at everyone else's work and it's like that work is, is this and my own work is, is not, is not that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, and and this seems to be a fairly universal experience from people I talk to that like we have trouble sort of watching our own work and being like fair in our criticism of it. Um, mm-hmm. And part of that is like knowing it so well and knowing what like the vision of it was before whatever realities came up because, you know, filmmaking is just problem solving. So it's like, you know, we get on set and we problem solve. And sometimes like the the end result of that is something beyond what you imagined. And sometimes you know, there is, there are moments that, you know, maybe aren't quite the best case scenario because of, uh, you know, unforeseen things. And I think we see all that in our own work. So it's like, can be really hard to imagine the full scope of like what it is and what your Mm -hmm. career can be. But I think especially for folks in a small town, I think it becomes really hard. Like I think coming to LA, you're surrounded by, or surrounded by people in the film industry people who are connected to people in the film industry. Like I've had so many meetings and conversations with people who aren't in the film industry who are like, oh yeah, I know X, you know, X, Y, Z, so many people. So you're, it, it sort of like demystifies it all pretty quickly, mm-hmm. just being here and seeing like, oh, this is all, it's all the same thing. It's just that like these different scales and like this, you know, it, it, at some point it becomes like not necessarily as much about the skill set. Obviously you have to have that element, but then it becomes about like, what are the connections and being here, mm-hmm. you can build those connections. But when you're in a small town, it can be really hard to sort of make that happen. And I don't know, I grew up in a small town. I lived in Portland, which is a much bigger town than I grew up in, but still like a pretty small city. And so I I just like have a familiarity with what it's like when you're sort of everyone knows each other. Mm-hmm. And that's what the, you know, Portland filmmaking community is um, for better or for worse. I think there's a lot of, you know, good to be had with that. But I don't know, there's something nice about just like right now for me about being in a place where it's a little bit bigger and I don't know everyone. And I absolutely, there's no way I ever will know everybody because there's just too many people. So I think it's just like, I don't know if, you know, beyond like move to LA is not like necessarily great advice because I think there's a lot of like privileges you have to have to be able to like navigate that. I mean, LA is really tough place to move at any time in your life and it's a tough place to live but I think just knowing that like the film industry is smaller than you think it is and I think whatever it is you want out of it like you have a long time to get there more than likely especially if you're in your 20s or even 30s it's like you have so much time ahead of you in your career like just slow down, try to like enjoy it because it can like feel like a constant stress, but it has to be enjoyable. And then from there, just like set small goals for yourself and try to get to whatever that end goal is, but feel free to like to think big and create an outline for yourself that like puts you in whatever your magical dream scenario is, and then just create small more achievable goals to get there. Kind of uh, piggybacking off that, um, I love how you talk about um, there's this like dichotomy between a certain level of like chasing the dream, but also a grounded like pragmatism, right? Like when you said that you moved to Portland, there's always this balance. And I feel like a lot of us are like struggling with that balance, right? It's like, how far do we chase out this dream and be realistic at the same time and say, we need to have jobs that pay our bills and like, you know, like, I wonder like how you kind of navigate that space. And since you started out so pragmatic in the industry. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm still figuring that out. Like when, when I'm busy with commercials, it's like, I, you know, it's, it's hard to like turn that work down because 
we are, I think there is a bit of a scarcity mindset as a freelancer. Yeah. You're so worried all the time, like, oh, this is my last job I'm ever yeah. going to have. That's it. <laughs> I think that every day. So. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I have no jobs on the books. I'm probably never going to work again. How do I feel about the entirety of my career, which is in my past now? I mean, it's what like. What other skill sets do I have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's yep. real nice. Um, <laughs> but I think there's no magic formula. I don't like to balancing that. I, I think at times you're going to be really busy in one aspect or another. You know, it seems to me like my career seems to be like I'm getting a lot of narrative work or I'm getting a lot of commercial work or even like at times a lot of documentary work. And for whatever reason, there's like rarely ever a balance of that being thrown my way. And sometimes I just have to like stop and set intentions for myself if like I remember in 2018, I had a really busy commercial year and I just sort of like coming out of that set an intention for myself to shoot more narrative. And I don't know what happened, but like all of a sudden I like got two features and three short films and it was like, wow, okay, that that happened. And I don't know, like I, I assume setting that intention, like, you know, within that I was maybe I was marketing myself in a certain way or maybe mm. like I was just talking to people about it in a certain way that they talked to another person who then had a thing or if it's just like some magical universe thing of like oh you want that here's here's that and only that so yeah and I think 2021 was another like really busy commercial year for me, which I needed after 2020. And then moving to LA, like the intention there was really to uh, continue to build on that narrative, those sort of narrative dreams, I guess. And so it's like, that seems to be my experience is just like, you know, I guess like to be a little less wishy-washy about it, like beyond just setting that intention is like knowing what you want is important, but also like putting into place something like if you have been shooting a lot of commercial and that's been great because it's, you know, helping keep the roof over your head and whatever else, you know, and, and, you know, you love it because I really do like love a lot of the commercial work I get to do. And, you know, it's more than just a paycheck often the time. So it's like, you know, there's, there's a lot to that too. And there's a lot of like setting intention there with like, you know, working on commercial work that sort of aligns with me stylistically and values wise and everything else. But um, I think it's just like building those, again, those little goals for yourself to try to try to make sure like if if I'm shooting a lot of commercial and I want to shoot, you know, narrative, I might start calling up, you know, my friends who are directors and just letting them know, you know, or, or letting other cinematographers know. I think like that's something that has been like, I mean, I obviously like have a lot of friends from Portland who are cinematographers, but I think like landing in LA, I've been like really intentional about about building that community because we're all peers. Like we're all here to support each other. Um, As long as it's like your people and they know, like if you all know what kind of work I'm looking for, you might come across it and maybe it's not the right thing for you or maybe you don't have time for it. And you're like, oh, I heard Sarah was like talking about how she wanted to shoot like a thriller and you know this is on my plate right now and it feels like really good stylistically yeah the support needs to be there for that to happen right because i mm-hmm. think that there's a lot of comp- like that comp- the competitive feeling and then people like if they want to if they can't do a job and they have to pass it off i see them sometimes looking down at people who are not as good as them or not mm-hmm. as whatever right so that they won't take their job but then all that and i think that it's just so important for all mm-hmm. for us all to be like uplifting each other and like you know passing those on and really also yeah. kind of coming to peace with the fact that like okay i love this collaborator but if those two end up being a better match Mm-hmm. then so be it. That's the world. That's the way that the, you know, the world had to move and being okay with that. And like, but I think, you know, because this is so tied to our heart, it's so hard to accept that. Right. And I think that there's, you know, that, yeah, just not looking there's at other so people. There's so many, you know, yeah. there's a lot of competition and the competition is so stiff, right? Mm-hmm. People are threatened by that all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it's a real thing. And, and I understand the, 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 the fear, but I think it's, it, I think we all have to like, 
take a breath after that impulsive decision, you know, thought of not wanting to like, you know, lose that job, take a breath and remember like, you know, like when the tides rise, all boats rise, right. Or whatever that yep. saying is. Yeah. And I think it's so real, you know, like that we do need to uplift each other. And I just, you know, so I, I wanted to echo that because I think that's really important. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I mean, obviously like I want to be busy and I want to grow my career. And I also like want all my friends to be busy and growing their careers. And I want us all to be growing together because the more that's happening, you know, the more I have, you know, folks like you all to kind of like lean on when I need something and vice versa. And it's just like, I don't know. It's just, it's, you know, like I, I loved uh, what you were saying about like, you know, sometimes you pass a job off to somebody who really is a better fit for for the job. And it's really beautiful to watch that happen and like mm-hmm. watch that film after it's like completed. And you're like, yeah, wow, mm-hmm. she was like really the better fit for that than I was. Um, yeah. And I'm yeah, I'm like, really, I'm really glad that worked out. And I think like that was a great pairing. Yeah. And I think that all just ties into like just, you know, those conversations when you're like meeting with a director for the first time. And like that sort of like dual interview process you're doing of like, you know, you're both sort of feeling each other out because like, you know, just because I love a script, you know, doesn't necessarily mean the director and I are going to be the right fit. And, you know, like maybe I read a script that like I don't love as much, but like I meet the director and I'm like, okay, this is going to be fine. Like we're locked in. We're, you know, we're in good shape. So, but I think it's like, it's really, really hard, especially when things are a little bit slower, but it like, I try to remind myself of like, when I'm working on a job, I really am working for the director. And if I'm not like going to like, if I'm not the right person to give the director what they want out of that, then like, that is part of my job to like recommend somebody who yeah. maybe is a better yeah. fit or at least, you know, maybe bow out if, you know, if I yeah. don't have the right person. It's like the the detriment of the project, right? If you either yeah. don't feel like you're the right person or if you feel, if you just say yes, but you're not going to give your all, that's again to the detriment of the, of the project. So why do it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's important to know when to say no. I recently had to bow out of a project that actually was very personal to me, but, um, the amount of emotion and the amount of where I was in my uh, grieving process, I just I was like, I I can't do this for my one for one for my own mental health. But like I the bias I'm going to bring into the camera for this documentary mm-hmm. is not is it's not going to it's going to be a disservice to this documentary. Mm-hmm. So I need I need to step away and like saying no is sometimes the most powerful thing you can do like for the project and for yourself, I think as well. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that is a huge thing and it's really hard to learn and they don't, they don't teach that, but it's, and it takes a long time. And there's certain, obviously, like, again, there's certain privileges that have to be in place for you mm-hmm. to be able to say no to things. And it's something that evolves as you grow. But I think it's really important to respect that process and like respect that decision and give it sort of the time and space it needs and like I've said no to a lot of projects that like I really loved but I knew I like you were saying Emmy like I wouldn't have the time that this project needs you know to give it what uh, just to like I I put so much of myself into projects and I'm like if I if I can't put that much of myself into this if I'm too busy for that I can't take it on because it's like that's Mm -hmm. just how I how I operate, but that can be really hard. And like, I know for me, like a friend of mine, Robin Song in Portland years ago was talking to me about this very thing when I was like really starting to like get to a point where I could start saying no to things. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was like really hard for me to like ever turn things down. And she told me about this sort of like these four tenants that she Mm -hmm. uses, which is basically, you know, what's the creative? Does it have heart? Uh, Who are the people? And what is the money? And like, it's just sort of like finding this interest. And it was like a great way of framing it. Like you just find this balance between these four things. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes in, it's just interesting in every project to see, you know, what you're doing it for. And, you know, it's never just one. It's always yeah. like some combination of those things. And yeah. and I think like it's also a great reminder, especially on a longer, like on a feature, a longer mm-hmm. project when things can be really hard or you're really stressed out because you're trying to, you know, get this or that or the other thing or, you know, whatever to like, just sort of like, 
look back on that and remind yourself exactly what, why you said, yeah, like why you took this project on. And it can just be really like, oh my God, yeah, this story is so important. We have to like, this story has to be told. Like that is the primary reason Mm -hmm. that I'm doing this right now. And like, I get to do it with these amazing people. And like, it might not be the most like creatively fulfilling thing on my docket at the moment, but it's like, so important that it's done. And, you know, I can always find ways to like make it a little bit more creative and interesting, you know? So I I think it's just like, we all have our ways, but yeah, saying no is it's tricky. <laughs> Be Cindy is a woman in Latina owned boutique camera rental house based in Los Angeles. They are passionate about the nuanced design that goes into visual storytelling. And as such are committed to supporting filmmakers tell their stories with the best tools available. Plus, for busy cinematographer or camera crew parents, they also offer childcare services during prep. So when you're looking for camera rentals for your next project, check out their extensive repertoire of optics and cameras at www.bcine.com or write to rentals at bcine.com for general inquiries. Going back into intention setting and manifestation, let's put it out there into the world, right? You know, if you could shoot anything, anything in the world, what would it be and why? Oh, that is a very tough hypothetical. Honestly, uh, this is uh, I this is probably like super corny, but mm-hmm. like I'm going to start shooting this feature in six days. And like there is nothing else I would rather be doing right now than like working on this film. I mean, we just have like truly the best crew, the best director. Like she's amazing. The producers are incredible. The script is like outrageously good. So exciting. Like I cried reading it the first time. There's like improv. It's like leaning into natural light, which is like so challenging and exciting and fun. It's in the desert. Again, to speak back on those tenants, like there's so much heart in this movie. Like not just from the people creating it and like how much everybody's like giving to, you know, bring this to life from like the people on the film to like the, you know, community of different like gear houses and gear companies that I've like reached out to and leaned on to like help create some magic for this movie Mm -hmm. because the budget is not very big. But it's like, yeah, I don't know, not to be corny, but like, I think if I could be (laughs) shooting anything in the world right now, it's this this movie because anything else would be like, but what about that other movie that's like so close? So uh, yeah. I, I'm super excited. And I don't know. I think like from there, probably coming out of this, I'll be like yeah. ready to shoot something entirely different. I'll be like looking for something with, I don't know, the whole, you know like this, this movie's like a lot of handheld with, you know, a good percentage of just like static tripod. Probably coming out of this, I'm going to be like, all right. I want this next movie to be on the Fisher Dolly with like really crafted, you know, crafted lighting. I don't know. Maybe I'll shoot on the shoot on the volume. I don't know. Like, (laughs) but it's so hard for me to speak about these things because like there isn't a genre in particular that like I am drawn to. I'm just sort of like I know it when I read it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm more drawn to the characters, I think, than anything. And like, I love stories about like, I don't like about either like characters who are so often like not whose stories like so often aren't featured. And then also just like any sort of like narrative that is shining a light on something that like we don't think about and like really digging into like all the gray area there. Like that stuff excites me. And then I know if it feels right visually or not when I'm reading it. Like I know if like, okay, this feels like a movie that's right for me or not. But yeah, so it's it's really hard for me to be like, I want to shoot like a $30 million thriller next, you know, <laughs> with, I don't know, like yeah. it's just not, yeah. uh, it's not quite how I operate. And that, I think that can be hard because everybody wants to be like, what do you shoot? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I shoot like whatever the... I don't know, whatever the thing is that's like there in the moment that's right. I don't know. 
You like challenges. You like new challenges and variety. Yeah. Instead of like the same old. Yeah. And I think that's great, right? Because we need to be Mm -hmm. kind of like getting outside of being pigeonholed and just being a genre or a whatever, right? Like we, like as a cinematographer, so often people are trying to put styles on us, but it's like, Mm -hmm. we want to be everything. That's what we love about being a cinematographer, at least speaking from my own experience. It's kind of interesting because we kind of put that intention out there, right? Because Mm -hmm. we curate like, our mm. brands and our reels based on what we have shot or like to shoot right? right and so that's kind of like manifesting more of that kind of work right it's mm-hmm. hard to be like oh i have a lot of really like beautiful like natural light like frou-frou things right and then it's hard for someone to be like oh you know like will you shoot like you know this like rave scene with like crazy disco lights or you <laughs> know like haze everywhere like those are those are hard to get together but i would love to do those things you know yeah that's kind of the catch-22 is like we are always looking to expand beyond those horizons and try new things but like generally especially in commercial like people in hiring positions are like looking at what you've already shot and hoping you've already shot the thing that they want to shoot and it's like yep no but i want to shoot something new right (laughs) it's something totally different Yeah. yeah Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, since I was able to shoot all of this, can't, doesn't that all prove that I have the skills to be able to take on any new challenges? Oh, That's yeah. the thing that drives I, me I crazy. Know. Yeah, It's like, you can't shoot miniatures until you've done it. You can't shoot cars, yeah, but right. like, how do you get, you know, so, so often yes. people are putting their own money to just like shoot a little mm-hmm. spec something. The car just thing drives me crazy. It's yeah. like, oh, like. Well, so if I the same way, I mean, one of the reasons like with my music video collaborator that we just like genre shop every, um, jump every single music video is because we were like, you know, we want to shoot like more genre stuff and like nobody's lining up to give me a sci-fi. So I'm like, we'll just shoot a cowboy sci-fi ourselves because like, I don't want to do it. But yeah, you got to manifest it. But also like, yeah, nobody's going to let you shoot a sci-fi without shooting a sci-fi. And I'm just, that's annoying. I know. And you know, like, again, it's like, as you establish those relationships, I think this is sort of like the key to that is uh, that I found and like, you know, I, we're I'm always evolving and learning and whatever, but it's like, I, you know, a lot of director, not all, but a lot of directors, I think similarly want to sort of explore different spaces. And as you like work with people and you find uh, your sort of like collaborators and the ones that like you want to collaborate with over and over and over again, as they grow and as they're doing you know, whatever, they might want to step into this. And they they trust you because they've worked with you and they know yeah. you can do it. They've seen yeah. you do things that like you haven't done before. So it, you know, I mean, they can also recommend you, of course, to like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they, they don't shoot sci-fi, but they, you tell them like, hey, I really like, have loved like all the dramas we've shot together. I'd love, a, you know, if you just like keep your ear out, like I'd love to shoot a sci-fi next. You know, those recommendations can go a long way. So it's like, I think that's a huge part of it is like, again, just like leaning on that community, building that community. And you never know, you know, like you put that intention out there in whatever way, whether it's tangible or not, and (laughs) just like uh, ideally tangible. yeah see what you get so looking uh looking back is there anything you wish you knew when you were starting out hmm yes (laughs) (laughs) everything i know now which one i wish i knew everything i knew now i would have been so much better at my job and i would have been just as good a cinematographer as no i'm just kidding um Uh, yeah. And I mean, there really are like, I I mean, there is truth to that. Like there is just so much I wish I knew. Um, I think like going back to the whole conversation about dreaming and sort of believing in myself, Mm -hmm. I wish I'd been more open to that. Mm. And I, yeah. And I think like, I wish, you know, I look back on even like when I started doing film stuff, even in college. And like, I look back on that time and I'm like, I wish I knew then how much I love this now. Mm-hmm. And like, that would have, yeah, I mean, that could have changed. I don't know. could have changed everything. But at the same time, like we, you know, like for me personally, like my life path has been my life path. And that, you know, like if you start changing anything, then like, 
who knows mm-hmm. you know not necessarily a bit better yeah so yeah but i think like for anybody starting out like the the best things to know are like get your hands on a camera and practice and like fail as much as you possibly can especially early on like mm. just fail constantly that's all you should be doing is just constant failure and learning from it and like trying to like fix it and get better and and just to like hold on to that dream and and Mm -hmm. take it seriously and like just but also like you know within that trying to be pragmatic and you know make sure you're learning all the right things so like get yourself on set however you need to in whatever capacity you need to so that you can be like seeing how it all works and have a better sense and and be open-minded about like where you might uh fit as a filmmaker i think that's a big part of it because like i think a lot of people try on so many different hats and sometimes like land in an unexpected space like a friend Mm -hmm. of mine started out doing more like camera and sort of dp work and now he does uh field audio and he loves it and then he directs on the side but like field audio he loves it it's like that's his thing it's i've never heard of anyone (laughs) go through that ever but like (laughs) that's his path i actually did field audio like my first year in the business um, it was not for me, mm. but yeah, it's like, so I think just be open-minded about like what you might enjoy doing and, and just be open to like trying, mm. especially early on, like trying anything, because even if you don't enjoy it, you'll learn so much from like, you know, working in props. I don't know, whatever it is. Yeah. And for DPs, like, I think like, I, I look back on like my background as an editor because that's like how I started. And I yeah. think that's the most valuable experience that I could have had. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is leaned on so much. Mm-hmm. Um, like this film I'm about to shoot in, you know, end of this week. Um, it's like, it's going to be tons of improv and there's two cameras. Um, we're going to be handheld and I'm operating mm-hmm. one of them. And the 180s, you know, I'm I, like the 180s going to be shifting. And like, I have to know how it's all going to cut together like the, mm-hmm. the the director is acting in it like she's going to be there to like Oof. you know so it's like um so we have and you know like i have a we have an incredible producer who's going to be like kind of on monitor and filling mm-hmm. in and helping with like you know keeping an eye on a lot of that stuff too but it's yeah i think just like having that knowledge of how it's all going to fit together um and, and even in a scenario where everything is like plan to a T, you know, once again, you're re- relying on that knowledge of like, this is this, these three shots are going to do everything you need, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to, oh, we need to shoot 10 shots because we don't really know what we need. And let's set no intention at all. Let's just go out there and cover everything, <laughs> which is like, yeah. So hose it down. Nobody, yeah. Hose it down. Nobody <laughs> wants to do that. Yeah, I find that I was actually going to ask you about that because I find I have a background in editing as well. And I find it to be one of the biggest strengths, in my opinion, that I have. Mm -hmm. And even like and this is something that I tell young, you know, students and filmmaker or cinematographers, especially like if you haven't had a background in editing, like get your footage and just play around with it. So you understand how these things are connecting, because we're not photographers. It's not just one shot that's important. It's also about how they connect, how they either like the rhythm going together or the juxtaposition and all that. And if you're just looking at each individual shot that's not the whole story right so i think i'm really glad that you hit that point yeah no i I also come from an editing background so yes i was gonna ask you the same thing (laughs) yeah the politics there too like i you Mm. know like because it is like you want to you want to be giving everything to the director right as much as Mm -hmm. possible at least in the ideal scenario but there's also the producer who's technically really the boss and really the creative you know oversight and all that and like I don't know. Have you ever had any experiences where you've been pinned in between both of them trying to figure things out? Have you like how have you handled those situations if you ever have been in those? Um, yeah, the politics side of our of our uh, world. Oh, yeah. I've been involved <laughs> in a lot of politics in the film industry, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, I mean, I think there's an element of like, oh, it's it's so interesting. I was just kind of like trying to think about like all the different ways that that comes up because it's not mm. always just a sort of creative difference totally in which is like i typically defer to the director i will do my part to help the director with their vision 
uh, achieve their vision, whatever that looks like. So if I know somebody wants 10 shots of coverage and the director only wants three and, you know, like I'll talk with the director and support whatever their vision is and I might question it. But then once it's sort of like in a place that feels like they know what they want and why they want it, then, mm. you know, I'll do what I can to fight for that because it's it's their project in my mind. And I know that can change. Like I don't work, I haven't worked like TV. So that's a whole different scenario right. where yeah. there's different players and everybody, like there's a lot of different new elements to consider. But like in the commercial space, it comes up a lot between like producers, between clients, between mm. creative directors and directors. And also just like those, those things come up in sort of the conversations around like what gear are we going to use and how are we mm-hmm. going to do that and that can become a thing where it's like I know what the director wants and I know what like gear is going to get us there to like best serve that vision and then there's like building a trust with the producers that like look mm-hmm. I'm not just like trying to like blow the budget on like whatever toys like that's not what this is about this mm-hmm. is about like I talked to the director about the vision I know exactly what we're trying to do. And these are the pieces that I think are going to get us there in the easiest way and in the best way. You know, I think these, whatever it is, these lenses, these cameras and and whatever I recommend, like may not be the thing we can get, but I think like it's a starting point and it's a conversation. But I think it's also like, again, building that trust with the producer that like what I'm asking for is based in the story and I have flexibility and I'm willing to like make work what we have, mm-hmm. but also like, you know, I need to have the same trust from them that like they're also there to serve the story. And yes, they have a budget they need to hit, but we can work on this together and we can get to a place where we have the the pieces we need to to do whatever it is we need to do. So, yeah, but in, in commercial is very tricky when there's like so many voices creatively and we're just trying to like navigate that together yeah. <laughs> um, because you know sometimes you just kind of do it all yeah. it's like let's do this yeah. version and this version of that version and we'll do this version and then uh maybe we can move on because uh the clock's ticking yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sometimes the best thing to do is put client village really far away yeah oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Love what we've been focusing on in this interview? What about the angle we've been taking? Have you found it illuminating? Help us power our community by going to icfcfilm.com slash friends and making a donation today. We're an all-volunteer group and your support will help us keep our website rolling, our events lit, and our podcast honey. Okay, maybe the last one's free, but we do need your help for everything else. And don't forget to subscribe. So I have a quick question. Um, six days before your feature, how do you navigate your work-life balance? Yes. Surprise. Mm. <laughs> I thought it was a cinematography question. It's not. What is work-life balance? I'm sure. <laughs> that is. That is. Uh, um, in general, like for, let's say for prep, how many hours do you put yourself to work? Like, like do you, are you like a very diligent person? You're like, I'm going to work from this time to this time and then it's done. Or are you kind of like, uh, my director can call me at 11 o'clock at night and tell me that this is not working or <laughs> like you set hard rules for yourself. Cause I feel like everyone navigates that kind of thing very yeah. differently, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a great question. And it's a, it's an ongoing process and I am a little, I feel like what I want to say, even though this like sounds bad, it's like I'm a little chaotic in my approach. I'm not like someone who's like, I'm going to work from this time to this time and then I'm going to stop and then I won't think about it. Because like the reality is when I have a feature coming up in six days, I don't stop thinking about it no matter how hard I try. I hope that I can sleep through the night, which comes and goes like you know depending on how many different anxieties i have around like the things that that need to happen mm-hmm. um but one thing that's happened since i moved to la and i think emmy's heard me talk about this like eight times now <laughs> but um i walk on the beach almost every single day right around sunset with my wife and we'll walk three to six miles uh for however long and it's like the west the side. Mo- yeah, i was about to say you must live right next to the beach <laughs> i sure do <laughs> the west side. 
I'm not driving over every night from the east side. Nope. <laughs> I live 12 minutes from the beach and yeah, we go like it, it was a part of like I kind of landed in this neighborhood I'm in randomly and Kelly called me and was like, I found it because she was still in Portland when I first got here and she said, I found a place at Echo Park. You should go look at it. And I was on the beach at the time and I was like, Kelly, we need to live on the west side. Mm-hmm. I'm at the beach right now and I need this in my life. And she was like, that is music to my ears <laughs> and then we just sort of shifted focus to finding a place here and i'm i'm two doors down from where i was staying when i first got here and side note interestingly directly across the street from where my brother lived for eight years in la oh wow but anyway to get back to work-life balance that's been this sort of magical thing and it there are days where it can't happen because i'm somewhere else i'm further from the beach or uh doing something that i you know have to keep doing or i'm on set or whatever it is but i find the days where that become can become the most like the biggest issue and this has been an ongoing thing in my time in the film industry where like i'll go months with like no work life balance at all it's all work and um we lived in a loft for like three years and our desk was like right in our living space and everything else and we just didn't stop working and then we were like we love this loft but we need to leave because we don't stop working because mm-hmm. there's no way to separate that but anyway the, my hard rule now in la of like oh it's uh whatever time of day the sun will be setting soon and i must get to the beach because i know i will feel so much better just that little thing makes such a difference so other than that, I'm still very much a work in progress when it comes to work-life balance. And I think freelance is so hard because mm. in a perfect world, I would like shoot this feature and then come back and I would have like exactly two weeks off and then I would like start on the next thing yeah. and mm. whatever. And I could like yeah. schedule it out. But freelance is so chaotic anyway that it's just like, you know, if I come back and I don't have something lined up in the future, I'm going to be freaking out mm. because I'm like, oh, I'm never going to work again. That was it. That was my last job. Just like, and, you know, within that, I will just be trying to figure out how to like bring the next opportunity about. But I, I do think it's really important to find ways to disconnect, whatever that is. And like, mm-hmm. be, give yourself grace. Like, you know, when the last couple of weeks I've been pretty much nonstop thinking about my feature, which, you know, like how, how can I stop? It's really difficult, but like, that's okay. As long as I'm like putting that effort into like doing something else or stepping Mm -hmm. away, or at least not just being on my computer, like buried in it and just saying like, like, I remember yesterday I was doing some work in the morning and I just at one point was like, it's beautiful out. It's been such a crappy winter. Let's go to the beach. And Mm -hmm. Ellie was like, do you have like a lot left to do on your list of of things you want to get accomplished? And I was like, I do. But I think going to the beach is as important as anything on that list. Mm. Probably more important. So let's let's go do that because like my, you know, physical and mental health is crucial or else I can't do any of this. Mm -hmm. So we do not take care of our mental health. I took up a a new hobby. So that (laughs) that I was like, I have a new passion. I have other passions in my life, you know? What's the hobby? Yeah. Pottery. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. It's a great one. Yeah. Amazing. I'm making mugs, you know? Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I am, That's I am actually an LA cliche. I live uh, with my girlfriend and my yellow Labrador and I make pots. I mean, I, I mean, I think we all fall into that. I'm a, I'm a lactose intolerant, gluten-free baker. I'm the gluten-filled baker, so... <laughs> I'm on the other this. end of that. <laughs> and I'm the beach bum. And there we go. <laughs> there we go. We all, we all need something. Yep. We're going to take a little break and we'll be back in a few days with part two. Thank you so much for listening today. Please follow us on Instagram at the ICFC. You can also reach us by writing to ICFCpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to tune in for part two of our interview with Sarah Weldon. This episode was produced by Emilia Mendieta Cordova, Fabian Hausepian, Akina Vandevelde, Senda Bonet, and Barbie Lung. 